As we are invited into the world of this film, we know we're entering the movie rather than simply watching it because we find ourselves flying, not in a plane, but more like Peter Pan, perhaps. At the same time, we're soaring above a city. It's not the Emerald City, but still, there is a rainbow ahead, and we're not sure, but maybe we'll wind up flying over the rainbow. We're entering the world of a film titled Marionette Land, and there are no overt references to Peter Pan as we sail over the city. We can make the connection in retrospect, though, and that's one of the delights of experiencing a film by Alexander Monelli. His choices are deliberate and so often poetic, and they add layers of enjoyment, as we, in this movie, for example, meet the somewhat mysterious maestro of marionettes who draws us into a world of make-believe and fantasy filtered through his imagination, his imagination that shapes the puppets, the plays, and the place where he lives and works. It's as if we're entering the world of Robert Brock's imagination in this full-length documentary that had its premiere in October 2020, virtually, at the Philadelphia Film Festival. Al Monelli is the producer, director, writer, well, all the rest. He had a chance to speak with us by phone about the project. This is something that we've talked about before. You've alluded to doing a short piece about the marionette theater. What was the first encounter with the theater? So I moved to Lancaster in 2012 and didn't know anybody and really tried to find people to make short documentaries about. That was sort of how I learned about Lancaster, I guess parts of Lancaster that sort of intrigued me because everyone just thinks of Amish and farmland and all that stuff. But there's actually a really vibrant little city in the middle of Lancaster. So that's sort of where my attention has been. And I was just walking down a street I'd never been down before, walking around the city by myself. And I saw a puppet theater and you don't see that every day, especially a marionette theater. Um, Rob is always keen on saying, you know, every marionette is a puppet, but not every puppet is a marionette. So they are these stringed puppets. And the second I walked inside, I was hooked and was like, oh, this is all I need to see. And then I met Rob and it was, you know, my attention shifted from being so intrigued by this sort of quirky, old-fashioned performance and it was just totally hijacked by Rob and his just charismatic, over-the-top personality. And the film kind of showcases that, but also showcases this sort of real person. And to me, Rob is always the most interesting and the most funny when he's being himself. You know, he has his little shtick that he does on stage and 
his little jokes and his sort of flamboyant personality. But when he's himself and he's angry about something or he doesn't know how to fix something, that's when the real Rob comes out. And it's even funnier and more engaging. And and it's the side of Rob I love the most. And he's become my friend over the years. You know, we shot this short documentary, which is just kind of a fun little piece. And it's on YouTube. You can Google it. It's called Man with Puppet. And I always knew there was more there. And as I got to know Rob more and more, I kind of said, you know what, there's, there's, there's stuff here. There's things that could be explored. And I think he's a very interesting character. But the timing was never right until my wife got pregnant. So her getting pregnant, I didn't want to travel around every weekend or every week filming at a different place and just kind of leaving my pregnant wife by herself. And, you know, I always made it a point to be at meetings or appointments for the baby. And, you know, I I certainly wanted to be and want to be a dad and a good dad. So that was always very important to me. So I kind of said, how can I still make a documentary before my baby is born? I had to get it in because I knew... Once you have a newborn, it's like everything gets flipped upside down, and it, and it certainly did. So I looked at Rob, and I said, he lives five minutes away from me, and it's a story I've always wanted to tell. This might be the time. So I started prodding him with questions about, what are you up to? What are you doing? And this was in summer of 2019, and he's like, you know, I'm thinking about doing my grown-up show one last time, because he was 62 how many more years can he tap dance and dress up as Judy Garland? You know, it's not something that you can keep doing. So he said he was thinking about doing it one more time, and that was what kicked off the documentary, chronicling that. And then we went into all the family shows, Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan that he does, and the, the relationship with his mother, which is a huge part of the documentary. It just sort of kept growing from there. And then before we knew it, we had a feature length film. And he says 35 minutes just to have an experience of being taken away and entertained and enchanted in and through the puppet show. Well, you give us a full-length documentary with that, but it's not an escape in that sense. We're drawn into this, use use the word, charismatic figure. And yet it's not a biography in, right. in that sense, right? It's not a, it's not a Ken Burns birth to death kind of here's all the greatest hits along the way type of documentary. You know, I always said there's two types of documentaries, um, usually. There's the recap and the following. That's how I sort of differentiate them. And I love them both, and I love many documentaries of all kinds. The recap is the typical documentary you might see on Netflix right now, where they take an event in history or you know, a person or something, and they kind of recap a past event, a past person, a past situation or theme, and I love those. This one is more of a following where you're actually with him in real time as things unfold, and things unfold that I had no clue would happen. I mean, my whole starting point with this was, okay, here's this guy at 62. He's got to train and practice and prepare to become Judy Garland, Liza Minnelli, Carol Channing, you know, all these famous Hollywood starlets of the past and tap dance and perform and and sing and make it entertaining and good. And to me, that was like, okay, that could be enough. 
and then you know uh, a pandemic hits and just so many different things happened and changed a lot of stuff so it is definitely a following robert brock in his present moment but we do touch on what i think are key moments of his past so you know we talk about when he when he got into puppets as a kid um the fact that he almost died at 4 years old his his sort of failed acting career he wanted to be an actor he wanted to be a sort of broadway star and battling mental illness really sort of kind of cut the legs out from under him on a, on a lot of that stuff and we get we touch on mental illness we touch on that stuff in the film he brings it up he talks about how he battled it quite extensively when he was younger and to me this whole film is how he deals with it cuz i asked you know i asked him about it. like how do you still how do you handle it today or attempt to handle it and i think this film is all a response to that or an answer to that you know he he built a puppet theater and moved in above it he lives with his mom just the way he structured his own cocoon is sort of perfect for him and this film is sort of uh bringing you into that cocoon and seeing parts of it that the public doesn't get to see normally when they go in for a 35 minute show and that is what sort of intrigued me more than here's what happened to Rob when he was 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 and so on so it's it's more of we touch on a few key things that support where he's at now and and kind of are sort of harbingers of what was to come and al as we remember if we've seen the jenny hill film we know that you are very keen on picking up on a detail that might have thematic reverberations the circle in jenny's film and in this case the theme of peter pan for example the story never never land and those sorts of things and you do it not obviously but you give us these hints weaving these things throughout that give us a larger sense of meaning yeah i mean i definitely you know first and foremost making a film i want people to watch it and enjoy it you know i i have that sort of spielbergian desire to entertain an audience and i certainly think rob and his story is certainly entertaining and funny i think this is a really funny movie and you know again it's not when rob is trying to be funny it's when he's not trying to be funny that he becomes funny but it would please me to no end so watch the movie enjoy it be entertained by it have a good time that's great but if you watch it through the lens of you know why did i choose certain things why are these why are there so many shots of snow in the film why is peter pan a huge part of this film there there are a lot of visual and thematic elements in this that if if sort of diving deeper and looking at a film more closely is something that interests you you know some people it doesn't i'm that way with music i don't listen to music and try to figure out you know what was bob dylan trying to say here or <laughs> you know and i know that's probably infuriating to some bob dylan fans to hear that but i listen to music that I, that just pleases me 
And when I do detect some kind of subtext in the story and the lyrics, it, it does improve the song or improve my, my listening experience, but it doesn't require that for me because I'm not a music person. So with movies, I know most people just want to watch a movie and escape or maybe learn something. But there are things in this film that if you watch it over and over, and I've seen this movie a thousand times just from editing it, and there are certainly treats there for people. You know, I kind of mentioned two already, but there's there's plenty more. The other thing, Al, is the sense of your tone. Because he is over the top when he's on, this is a character who could very easily be parodied. Mm-hmm. That kind of send-up of him, but there's such heart here, and it's the right kind of heart. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly a, a, a thin line to straddle. You don't want to, you don't, especially in a documentary, as opposed to a traditional narrative film. You know, I didn't want Rob to be a caricature or a parody. I wanted him to feel like a complete person, and that was all part of when I spoke to him at the start of this. I said, look, if we're really going to do this, you have to talk to me about real things. It can't just be you making jokes about a puppet's leg falling off. Because, yes, that's entertaining, but it's not, it's not sustainable for a 90-minute movie. We need to learn about you, and we need to see you be quiet. We need to see you be vulnerable. We need to see you get upset and angry just as much as that sort of performative, theatrical, flamboyant personality that you sort of pay for that when you go there. And that was part of the agreement. He agreed, and I certainly didn't force him to do, you know, this was all a conversation we had, and we both agreed that this is the way it should be. And I'm kind of glad he let me in, especially with the stuff with mental illness. You know, I wanted to kind of go into his love life, being a gay man in his 60s, never getting married, never having a boyfriend. What was that experience like? But the mental illness stuff, I think, was far more important and essential because it informs everything. It informs his persona. It informs his theater. So touching on that was was key and just having quieter moments. I mean, I showed this film as I always do. I showed it to a few kind of trusted people before I really start submitting it and sending it out there. And the one note I remember getting from someone was, you know, my favorite part in the movie was, I don't want to spoil anything. My favorite part was near the end, the last like 10 minutes when there's nothing, it's just him. And they kind of suggested more stuff like that, like quieter stuff. So I really went back and tried to find these special little moments of him kind of working on a puppet, getting ready for the day, stuff like that, to kind of really flesh him out. Because he's so loud and so, you know, <laughs> talks a lot. And there were many times during filming where I had to keep saying, Rob, please shut up. <laughs> like He would just want to crack jokes every second because he felt like he had to perform. You know, it took a little while for him to kind of get the point that I also want quiet Quiet Rob, ruminating on things, doing things. But it it took a little while for him to resist cracking a joke. There are several outtakes, and maybe when this is released on a DVD or something, I'll put just me yelling at him to please stop. You take us outside to the cemetery. Yes. And that, I thought, was a very important scene. Well, yeah. You know, it, it was something I didn't know would actually happen 
And I think it is very important. And I, and, and I think the film is really the crux of the film is him, the relationship between him and his mother. But I think his father, who's passed away, plays a key role in things, too. And I think that was important for kind of connecting to Rob's childhood in a way, because he kind of talks about having a rough relationship with his father when he was young. And again, it's that sense of who is real, who is there, what's in our imagination and what's not in terms of the marionettes, and is dad really there as they say they feel him there, or is that just part of the way they live and see things in this imaginative space, which is their home and their workspace? Yeah, and he's a very spiritual guy. I mean, his mom, she worked in the church for most of her life, so he kind of grew up in religion and with church, and so he has a very spiritual side, and there's so many cut scenes that really broke my heart to kind of cut out, but he has a whole show where he impersonates Teresa Caputo, the Long Island medium, and he he kind of does, you know, where you do seances and try to talk to the dead and commune with spirits. So that was just a whole other thing, but I couldn't make it work within the movie, and I didn't want to make a two-hour movie. I wanted it to be... I think 87 minutes is the right runtime, and so it kind of broke my heart to take this out, but there were so many great things of him trying to commune with the dead and trying, you know, but it just didn't work structurally to keep it in the film. So, But at some point it will, again, when this is released on DVD, Blu-ray, and streaming and whatnot, these deleted scenes will definitely be, uh, be seen. And yet you hint at it in the cemetery scene in the sense that they really behave as if dad's there. Dad does make, in the film, there is a sort of visual representation of his dad in the film. And I don't mean the old footage that we use. I mean, there's an actual stylistic, this is, again, going back to the sort of subtext. You know, there's something in the film that is sort of symbiotic with his father, that's representative of his father. So again, that's something where if you kind of, you kind of read the film and look for things, you can kind of see that. So his dad certainly has a presence throughout. We know that you are it. You are the whole production team in the work that you do. So you don't have a cinematographer, but the scenic feeling of what you do and the coloring and the tone is really terrific not just because it's so decorative in the puppet theater, but the colors or the upstairs, downstairs difference and lighter and darker downstairs and so forth. I'm glad you kind of picked up on that. I appreciate what you said. It makes it easier sometimes and harder sometimes to be the, the cinematographer and the director. I love the, and I call it the dance. It's sort of this it, shooting a documentary to me is like a dance. You you have your subject and you're kind of, you're discovering what it is that you're filming, um, at least in the way that I do it. That's how I kind of look at it. I'm following him. So it's how close do I get? How far do I get? And finding that right balance and, and, and not getting in the way and sometimes getting in the way. It, it, it all has its own purpose and, and own meaning. So it's definitely sometimes easier because I, I can kind of get in that groove and flow and feel like I got it. It gets harder when there's so many moving parts, like shooting one of his performances. I'm setting up a camera in the back. There's so many things going on at once that sometimes you feel like you might miss things. But I, I don't want, I don't want a hundred 
cinematographers roaming around just because I feel like then it sort of removes some of the authenticity of where we're at. People would be too hyper aware of what's going on. And this is something where I felt like people kind of needed to have their guard down and not be intimidated by, you know, a whole crew of people and lights and cameras. Let us talk about the music. He makes music, and you have music <laughs> enhancing various scenes. He sings, too. Music I, is, is a key. Yes, and I'm laughing because I, his music, I love it so much. And it, it is so whimsical, and especially the song that he writes and performs near the end of the movie, which I don't want to spoil. But I tried to keep as much of it kind of in there because I feel like that texture of his music is so key to putting you in the place. You know, you could see all the marionettes and you could see everything he talks about in there. Is Nothing is level because it was a building that was built in the 1800s. So everything is kind of crooked, and which is just perfect, uh, a perfect metaphor. But with his music, it really places, it, it's more that sound encompasses you of, of those sort of like, children's sounding music and so i wanted to make sure that the music i used was sort of opposite of that in a way you know i chose some really beautiful kind of uh almost broadway-esque pieces a few you know there's a montage near the beginning where he's walking through lancaster city and it has this sweeping feel of like an epic old-fashioned romance you know and i, I wanted to kind of juxtapose my music to his and that, that was sort of like a, a, a style choice in terms of the music. But, yeah, music is, is super important to me. You told a reporter, didn't you, that you didn't want it to be another COVID film, that there is COVID in it, but that it's just part of this moment that we're in with Rob. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, you've seen the movie. It's really just sort of like an epilogue almost where it comes in in the film, I wanted to kind of have a spot that felt like an ending, and then we go into COVID. And I, I, include, it, it, I was torn whether or not to include this stuff. I, I didn't want it to be, oh, here's just a typical COVID movie type of thing. I, it would really upset me if, if that's what it got labeled as, because it has a thematic purpose to be in this movie, whereas... COVID, not that it closes his theater, it removes his audience from him. And that's, that's the, the loss. It's not the theater, it's the audience. Because as you learn throughout the movie, that's his connection, that's his lifeblood, that's his true love is sort of performing for an audience. Not that he loves individual audience members, it's, it's, the, it's the attention, it's the performance, it's the you know, the lights being on you and having people clap for you. That is what was stolen from him. So we, we kind of watch him in isolation for a little while. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It really hurt to watch when he finally got a standing ovation and Mom didn't get it. Yeah. And to me, that was that was the clear, you know, sort of dramatic peak for me because... He tried to make a joke out of it. You know, he tried to make a joke that, oh, she probably didn't even stand. But you could see that it it did upset him. You know, he was faking it, that it didn't. But I thought that was a very important moment. And 
again, going in, not giving away spoilers, but uh, I think that scene, that moment makes the last shot of the film, you know, perfect in a way where it, it, it makes that last shot mean more and feel more than if it was not in the movie. And Al, how does this film speak to us today in these distressing times? You know, I certainly am uh, someone who follows very closely, and I get very saddened by things and very upset by things. So my films are hopefully not just an escape for the audience, but they're certainly an escape for me and sort of my own personal therapy. And hopefully, uh, you know, other people can see that throughout these crazy times of division and pandemics that there is still wonder in the world. Award-winning filmmaker Alexander Monelli, a native of Clark Summit who has recently joined WVIA as a film producer. We spoke with him in the fall of 2020 as Marionette Land had its premiere at the Philadelphia Film Festival. We'll have a chance to see that documentary tonight at 10 on WVIA-TV. And looking ahead, on Sunday, April 3rd, Marinette Land will be the closing film of the Northeast Pennsylvania Film Festival at the Ritz Theater and Performing Arts Center, 222 Wyoming Avenue in Scranton. That's at 3.30 in the afternoon, Sunday, April 3rd. For more information, on the web... WVIATV.org, WVIATV.org. For information about tonight's screening on WVIATV at 10, also we can give you his website, which is MonelliFilms.com, MonelliFilms.com, M-O-N-E-L-L-I, MonelliFilms.com. And then the movie has its own website, and that is marionetteland.com. M-A-R-I-O-N-E-T-T-E land.com. <laughs>